Well, I'm honored to be here. Uh, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Ben Geyser, and I have the privilege of being the legacy pastor here, as well as the school of ministry director. And um, I'm telling you, man, well, I feel the same about you. That works out really well. <laughs> I certainly feel the same about you. I, I love you with a great love. Um, and it's wonderful to see all the new faces that may not know who I am. So I wanted to say welcome to you, and it's good to have you here this morning. Um, my heart is that you would find this message real, that she would find it transparent and vulnerable, but that also, hopefully, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would find it life-changing in some way. So I want to share a little bit with you as kind of an opening statement. So we have been in this Head in the Cloud series, and I've really enjoyed that series, and I hope that you have as well. But one of the things that really stuck with me is this, a byproduct of living from his presence is that he will realign anything in me and also in you that is out of order. As I seek him, he will first begin by adjusting me. Part of the being in the presence of God is to be able to encounter holiness in the midst of something that is not just yet perfect by his blood. Amen. How many would say we're all still in process? Amen. I'm saved, but I'm on my way. I'm saved, but I'm not there just yet. But I can see the evidence of what God has been doing in my life. And so as we have been in this presence, uh, this presence uh, series, I have so enjoyed the fact that we're beginning to proclaim to even almost a new generation that, again, he is with you in this moment. To have this understanding and acknowledge in your heart and your mind that right now as I stand here, the presence of God is all around me, and the witness of that is defined by the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. Amen? So how many of you know that as you sit here right now, you are in the presence of the most holy God? He paid the price to spend the rest of your life with him. Amen. The word of God says that he came and he tore the veil when Jesus resurrected. Amen. The earth shook when Jesus got up. Amen. He did all of that so that you could be with him all the days of your life. And then as you transition to eternity, you will never leave his presence. So the presence of God is a tangible thing, a very tangible thing. But this is one I want to be able to lovingly say to us, though, that one of the evidences of being in the presence of God is that I become undone in his presence. When I'm in the presence of holiness, I begin to realize what part of my life is not honoring the Lord. I, I say that evidence of being in the presence of God is that I'm different when I leave. Amen? If I'm going the wrong way in the presence of God by his grace and by his love, he will convict me to go a different way. If there is something out of alignment in my life in the presence of God, he will begin to lovingly deal with that. And so that when I leave his presence, and by the way, what I mean with that, I never leave his presence. But when I leave the moment of worship in that time, God is realigning something in my life that was out of line. And I want to talk to you this morning about heart alignment which is the most important thing, heart alignment. I have something I want to share with you. A heart out of alignment is a life out of order. A heart out of alignment is a life out of order. Now, if you don't mind, I want to give you a backdrop to where this comes from. And so I, I want to tell you something. This is probably the most um, transparent and vulnerable. I have been with a group of people in a very long time. And I'm privileged to have my wife and my kids here with me and uh, my son-in-laws and my grandkids here with me today. And um, I want to share with you something out of our story for these past 12 months. Some of you know it, some of you don't know it, but I really believe as a shepherd that if you can relate with me, you can connect with the word coming through me. Amen? If you can relate with me, you can connect with the word coming through me. And so I want to share with you what our 12 months journey has been. So my wife and I have been married for 32 years. Uh, we have four daughters, two wonderful son-in-laws, and two beautiful grandkids. And so... Uh, when we find ourselves in our mid-50s, when life is just beginning to get to a place where you're starting to watch fruit and evidence of all the things that you've toiled for over the years, we got this unexpected news about 12 months ago. So about 12 months ago, my wife Lisa was diagnosed with advanced stage 3 colon cancer. She went through six months of chemo, six months of radiation. She went through two surgeries and then a final season of chemo. And so when I say stage three advanced colon cancer, it was stage three knocking on the door of stage four, wanting to get into the uterine wall, but God contained it. God contained it. 
It was trying to get into the fatty tissue, and the Lord said, I've contained it. It's stage three, and it's not stage four, and it won't be stage three for long, Ben, but this is what you're going through. And I, I, it was probably one of the hardest times that we have ever been a part of, and it was interesting because of the fact that the four-hour surgery, four-and-a-half-hour surgery, ended up taking about eight hours with no communication from the doctors. And so we were sitting in the waiting room with myself and my family, and we're all praying and believing the Lord, and we were going through so many things. And the doctor comes out finally and says, we, we got all the cancer out. We praise God for that. But what had taken so long is that because of the chemo and the radiation, that cancer cell had shrunk in, and it had pulled an artery into itself. So they went to remove it. The artery got cut. And bleeding began to happen. And they bid so many quarts and pints of blood and plasma, I can't count it all. But bottom line, the surgeon said she could have died by bleeding out on the operating table. But God was faithful. Amen? But God was faithful. And so after all these things happened, she, uh, we're excited to be able to see my wife. He said she's going to be intubated, and she's also going to be sedated because of the tube that's inside of her. So um, she is good. And he said, she is cancer-free, but she has a road ahead of her. And so when we came out, we went into the room with her to meet with her and talk with her, and she was completely sedated, and we were crying and praying over her and thanking God for what he had done. But I will confess to you the sight of my beautiful wife, my soulmate, being intubated and not being able to communicate with her kind of wrecked me for a little bit if I'm being transparent. And so in, in the middle of all of those things, I... I, you know, again, you want to be so strong, and I have such a great family, and we were loving each other, and finally around 2.15, 2.30, the doctor was like, you should go home and get some rest. So about 2.30 in the morning, I went home to get some rest. Now, before I do that, I want to preach out of that experience. But before I do that, I must give God praise. Amen? So let me share it with you. By the goodness of God, my wife, Lisa Geyser, is cancer-free because of his hand on her life. Amen? Yeah, amen. Yeah, trust me, we shouted that high. God was faithful. And again, if you're going through something, do not overlook the fact that he has contained something and not allowed it to go on farther than what his will was. Amen? God did not give my cancer, but what the enemy meant for evil, God contained to a moment of healing where that he would get the glory for it in Jesus' name, amen? So if you're looking and waiting for something, be thankful for what God has contained as you wait for his healing. So we go on and we realize from five, this is beautiful, from the first diagnosis of stage three colon cancer, advanced colon cancer, after several rounds of chemo radiation, two surgeries, one more final round of chemo, do you know how long it took? It only took 12 months. So God has a beginning and an end to what you're walking through, amen? And so it took 12 months and it was done. It was a calendar year of our life that began to shift something in me and my whole entire family. We had little, to, she also, let me clarify something with you as well. She had little to no side effects from the chemo nor the radiation. I don't think she threw up once. She never lost her beautiful hair. God sustained her in the middle of that. I'm also very thankful to be able to say that we had an inner circle tribe that walked through this with us, and you know who you are in this room. We are so thankful for you that you prayed with us and spoke faith over us and walked through us with this. Let me say this to you, Potter's House. You need a tribe in the middle of this great nation called the kingdom of God. Do not isolate yourself in times of trouble because part of what God does when you're going through the hardest thing, he's trying to open up a door in your heart to let somebody in to be able to travel with you down this rolled. Amen. We choose We choose self-isolation. That's not a kingdom concept. Amen. So be careful. Make sure that you let somebody in, the right people in to carry you and walk you through those moments. Um, I want to do two other things. I want to compliment my wife, and she's going to hate this. My wife's faith and strength through this was incredible. Incredible. She trusts God from every moment. Sure, there was hard moments, but she believed the Lord. There were scriptures pasted to our bedroom wall when we went to bed at night, and we were talking about the scriptures and just encouraging one each other every night. There are times when she encouraged me more than I even encouraged her. So I want to thank God for my warrior wife today, too. Amen. And I'm incredibly thankful for my children, my faith filled kids. My faith-filled son-in-laws, 
they walk there right with us through all of this, and they believe the Lord. So um, I want to share two things with you. So when we started this journey, God gave us a word to stand on. It was found in Genesis chapter 5, verse 20. As for you, what you intended against me for evil, God intended for good in order to accomplish a day like this to preserve the lives of many people. I want to tell you something. It is important when you go through something like this to go find a word to stand on, to go find a word to sit inside of, to be able to find a posture where that you are trusting God and you get to a place where you become unmovable because the Lord God has spoken this. God has said so over your life. It is important to be able to have something to stand on when the ground is moving all around you because God is desiring to fill a, fill a prophecy through your life in that moment. And if you don't know what you're standing on, you have no idea what the outcome is to be able to expect. And when God gave us this, he said, expect that I will do exactly what I've declared that I will do over your life. And there are times when that will get you through your nighttime journey, knowing that God has spoken, this will come to an end, and she will be healed, and he will be glorified, and God will do greater things in my family than what I could ever have expected in Jesus' name. So I want to encourage you that if you're not in the word, find a word to be able to stand on. Amen? So let me get a little bit more personal. And we'll jump in more to the word. So that night of her surgery, I uh, got home at 2.30 in the morning, and uh, I was just exhausted. So I went back on my porch and just sat outside and just sat alone with God and began to weep and begin to cry. And I will say there was a lot of things going through my emotions. I was, I was thankful, yet I was angry. I, was, I felt like I was even mourning the loss of something, yet, yet I was so wonderful that God had done this, yet I felt so crushed and there was a myriad of things going on in that, in that backyard by myself at 2.30 in the morning. And I was reminded of something that God began to say to me as I was preparing for this sermon. And again, I was thankful that she was alive, but God's voice came so tangible to me, and it said this to me, Ben, she was my daughter before she was your bride. Ben, she was my daughter before she was your bride. And then out of his great patience and love, and he said to me one more thing, I want my daughter back. And that just began to shake me. That began to shake me, and I, I began to inquire of the Lord, what, what do you mean by these things, God? And it made me cry even more, and God in his own loving way began to allow me to understand that my heart had gotten out of alignment. Lisa and her health had become so much more important to me that I had put her in between me and God. And all of a sudden, the value of how healthy she may come out of that started to determine how good God was. And God said, your heart is out of alignment. And life just simply got so real to me. And I, I didn't even realize how much that things had jockeyed for position. But my, my, my faith and my emotions was based upon how Lisa is doing instead of just looking to the Father and loving and trusting him in that moment. My heart got out of alignment. Now, I want to share more with that with you before we go too far. Let me move on. As we started this journey, Lisa said something to me that has always stuck with me. She said, we will go through this together, but we will have different journeys. We will go through this together, but we will have different journeys. And I had no idea what that meant. Let me take you back. I want to go back to Luke chapter 14, verse 26, and begin to open up this topic of heart alignment. And I pray that you're connecting with me, because I, I do want to say that I understand that unless you've gone through something like this, it's really hard to be able to comprehend what God may do in a strategic moment like this. I want to be able to say, in my hardest moment, God had asked me to do the most holy thing in my entire life, and that was to give my wife back to him. And I, I want to take a moment and I want to ask you to begin to reflect some things here as we jump into this passage. I want to ask you this question. Whose hands are your family in? Are they in your hands or in God's hands? It is such an important question. Why? Because, see, God desires that we love our family the way that he loves us. But, again, if we think that we have control or possession over them, then we're already out of alignment in our heart. And God really can't do much with that. And let me say this prophetically to a generation that we are praying that they would encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder sometimes if out of fear 
that we try to control their process and it inhibits them from finding the one true king. Out of fear, do we try to control their process or to be able to point them in so many different ways? Here's Jesus. Come find him. And by the way, please stop living like that because you're freaking me out. And I'm so afraid of what you're doing in your life and all the things that are happening. And all they can hear is your fear. And they can't find faith. They can't find the one that can really save them. It's almost like pushing them into salvation by the way of the road of fear. And I want to be able to say that kind of salvation hardly ever takes and it hardly ever works. This is so much more than just what my family went through. I believe that God is releasing a a right now word for us as those of us that are praying for our prodigals, for those of us that are praying for the generations coming into this church. God is saying you have to love them into salvation, not freak them out into it. Amen? There's a whole completely different posture in this. So let me walk through these passages of scriptures. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 And this is powerful. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is talking about heart of alignment here. There's a multitude following Jesus in this moment, and he recognizes the multitude, but he also recognizes that you really don't know what this is going to cost you. You don't really understand the alignment that I'm asking to take place in your heart. You love my teaching. You think I'm charismatic. You love it when I heal you. You love it when I touch you. You're, you're, you're infatuated with all of that. Are you just as infatuated with this heart alignment conversation I'm going to have with you in this moment about the fact that I must be first? And everything else must come down the line. See, this is true, mature, genuine Christianity. This is a heart of a church alive in the presence of God. He is first. And he will not be removed from that throne or that position. But I want to be able to say to you that this is also a very hard conversation. Out of all the ones that he lists here, I want to be able to say that I struggle most with my wife and my children in the conversation of heart alignment. So again, he says, you must love me first. Now, again, anyone comes to me, we don't get a pass at this. This is for everybody. It's a requirement for true discipleship. I mean, real, genuine, living for Jesus Christ, the check of a heart of alignment is required for all of us. Jesus is crazy up front about what is expected, the priority and the position that he is to take in our hearts. He doesn't pull any punches here. He even uses the expression hate when what it really means is love less. Like Jesus is so crazy up front about this, he uses these huge terms to be able to say, I must be first. I want to get that through to you. This is the highest priority. This is what's going to make you and I really connect. This is the kind of relationship that I desire, that I become your one true love. And then we recognize, too, this is the relationship level that he's after. This is the relationship level that he's after. It, It goes from the conversation of infatuation to mature love. See, love is defined for me in so many ways, and even with the word of God, love is defined as a choice. Love chooses to do some things. It is patient, it is kind. Love chooses to do not other things in order to define that you're in love. So therefore, because I'm in love, I, I am patient. I don't exasperate my children. I don't keep record of wrong, amen? I, I, I'm not pious, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not prideful about anything. That is some things that love does and some things that love does not do. So love is defined in many places in choice. And Jesus is saying, make a choice. Put me first. And then he lists, but love does not the less part of love. Love less these things. Now, this is the realignment that we need to take place in descending order. Love Jesus most and then love them less. Now, note this. It doesn't that they make the list. They do make the list, but Jesus is just simply saying, they live in my heart, but they do not own my heart. My heart actually belongs to Jesus Christ. It is also important to know that it is not that what is not on the list is also important to look at. So love and fame and pride and cars and money and bling, none of those things should live in the heart of the believer. They don't even make the list, right? 
But the things that do make the list are the things that are important to the Lord and should also be important to us. So again, my parents, my children, my spouse, even my own life, it's not that these things aren't important to list, to the, on the list, but they must be put in proper alignment. How many in this room, and maybe it's just me, can you confess, Pastor Ben, there are times when I get the alignment wrong. Am I the only one in this room? The longer you live, the more that you will wrestle with the alignment conversation because if you really love, the heart always has to be checked. Amen? And so again, this heart alignment conversation, it's not that they don't make the list, it's just the fact of where they go in the list. The love of self is demanding what I want. The commandment of love is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In this conversation of love, I have to understand that if I'm loving of myself, I want my own will to be done. But if I'm loving what the Father wants, my prayer is, Lord God, thy kingdom come and thy will be done in my life. And out of that, it reciprocates backwards. Over my family, I can begin to say, now, Lord God, your kingdom come and your will be done over my family. Your kingdom come, your will be done over my kids and over my spouse and over my grandkids. And no longer am I begging God for what I want, but out of a relationship with God, I'm discovering what he wants, and in the middle of that discovering, I'm coming into a place of trusting the way that he wants to be able to do what he wants in their life. See, in all of this, we must understand that perfect love casts out all fear, amen? There are times in our life where we love based on fear, and fear manipulates true, genuine relationships, amen? Are we there today with us? I, I want to make sure we're really good about this because I don't want to get too far without helping us to understand. You really can't get past this. And also to help us to understand, this might be the most blind thing in your life that you don't know that you're wrestling with. It is so sneaky and you don't even know what's happening. But again, when this is out of alignment, I'm out of order. So let me ask you this question. In this crowd of witnesses today, if Jesus were to turn around and look at you today and ask you, is your heart in alignment? Am I first? If you were to turn around this very holy moment, which I believe he is because the scripture is being taught, and say to you, is your heart out of alignment? And I'm really, am I really first? Or... Or has your wife taken that place? Or has your husband taken that place? Or has your kids taken that place? Am I really, really first? Let me say this to the young people that are waiting for their spouse. Is the one you're waiting for taking that place instead of me? Like, are you really in alignment with me? Am I really first in your life? It's such an important question to be able to ask the church because as much as we want his presence and his goodness, he wants us to understand this real love relationship. And I don't want to get too far or too far ahead of this, but what I have learned over the years, the more that I am taken over and encapsulated by his love is the only way for me to love out of the overflow of that and to really love rightly those that I care about. I have a news flash for you. Your love without Jesus is broken. I love you, I'm not trying to hurt you, but I grew up in broken love. I grew up in love that could only be operated by the flesh. And when I found Jesus, and hopefully when you found Jesus, I found this new kind of love that I could not comprehend. I never knew unconditional love until I found Jesus. I never knew love that didn't have control wrapped around it until I found Jesus. I found Jesus and I found this love that was an everlasting love. It wasn't based on how well I performed. It was just simply based on his love and compassion for me and it began to change my life. And as I have grown in my love for him or through him, I'm able to love my family a lot freer than what I ever could before, but my heart had to become aligned. And I want to ask you again, if Jesus were to be able to turn to you in this moment, in the middle of this Head in the Cloud series, in the middle of the revival that's happening in 2023, in the middle, in the middle of the move of God that we are seeing, if he would turn to you and say, what place do I take in your life? 
Is your heart aligned? Am I first? You have to give an answer to him. And there's nothing wrong about that. Let me give you some clues of how you can know. Worry is the evidence of a heart out of alignment. If you are constantly in a place of worry about your kids, about your spouse, about your future, not just is your trust out of alignment, but your heart is out of alignment. You're living from the wrong relationship. You're living from the wrong relationship. You're living from the posture of saying, well, if I can just do enough for God, he'll bless me in these ways. Or if I can just do enough for myself, he will take care of all of these things in my life. I, I, I just, I want us to get our theology correct. You don't have the ability to hold on to God. Only God has the ability to hold on to you. If you think you're holding on to God out of the grip of the flesh, I want to be able to tell you that your grip is going to fail sometime and sometime soon, and you will be left wondering, where was God in all of that? When all that God was saying is that if you trust me, I will take care of all of your needs, but I want to be able to say to you that trust is the equation that makes the heartbeat of a love relationship really work. If you don't trust God, your heart's not beating in real love, amen? And what's interesting is that trust can be violated based upon what you and I take back from God. Wow, why does this seem, I, I just don't want you to be overwhelmed with this, but I want you to understand there are times when we have taken things back from God that rightly belong to him and we've taken them and called them our own when God has said, you've got to give that gift back to me. It is because of control that you no longer love freely in that relationship. Is anybody getting this today? I, if this is too deep, please just stay with me, I promise. But I want to be able to say there are times when we open up the door to our own strongholds. And I'm telling you, this can become a stronghold. I've seen it. I've lived it. This can become a stronghold in the generational blessings that God wants to release to your family. If you haven't given your kids and your spouse back to God, how do you, God, how do you expect God to bless something that you're trying to control? I'm telling you, it's got to be one of these things where they're daily, daily, just like Hannah did with Samuel. God, I lay my children before you. I lay my spouse before you. God, I recognize that you are their miracle, and they are a gift to me, but they don't really belong to me. I'm just here to be able to raise them up in the spirit and the countenance of the word and to be able to trust what you are doing in their life. I want to say maybe what God is saying to somebody is this. Get your fingerprints off of my masterpieces. I don't know why I feel the heaviness in the room. I'm not sure what's going on, but I cannot stop pushing on this. I cannot stop pushing on this. Why? Because I had know what it's like to be controlled and almost become a slave to fear. And I know what it's like to be on the other side of this. That because of the fact that I abide in Jesus' love, I can become so free to drop what is in my hands, to drop the weightiness of what I'm worried about, and begin to lift praises to my King. How can you receive a gift if you are so controlled and holding on to what you're afraid of losing the most? I'm telling you, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Isn't it like him to give it back to you better than what you could ever possibly do? Your kids, your wife, your spouse, your generations, they belong to him. Release life and release faith over them. It is a culture of love that I want in my household. I... I'm so glad that my kids rely on me for things, and I'm great with that because I love serving my kids. I really, really do. But the key thing for me is that they're really relying on God most importantly. Why? Because there's coming a day when you and I will have to hand off our spouse and our generations to the Lord. And if he wasn't there in the first place, they're going to have a tough time finding his hand when you leave. This is a matter of life and death. This, this whole thing right here is the promise to God blessing your generations. But one of the things that I think he's saying back to us is you must give them back to me. 
that I may have them and do hear this and do with them what I will he's better he's better he's better he's better he's better and he's better I'm telling you, I'm so glad that my mom came to a place in my early teen years where I would get up and she was always praying for my hope, my heart, and my salvation. She was always putting me in the back of God's hands, saying, God, do something with Benji. Do something with Benji. He's walking the wrong road. God, I've come to the end of myself, and I've come to realize that's exactly where God picks up when you come to the end of yourself. What is your heart motivated by when you love your children? What is your heart motivated by when you love your spouse? What are you motivated by? This is the key thing is what are you motivated by? Because motivation is everything in these situations. What am I motivated by? Are you motivated by a good reputation? If you raise them in the reverence and the fear of the Lord, you'll get a good reputation at the gate. Let's not get it backwards. Let's not get it twisted. My kids grew up as as pastor's kids, and I understood the weight of that to whatever God would do in our life. And I've always prayed, Lord, let them walk with you in their own journey of salvation. Let that come to life. Let our home be the seed. Let our home be the foundation for that. But, Father, your relationship with them has to take root along the way. Why? Because, see, this is the deal. I want God's fruit out of the generation that I'm raising not mine. I want God's fruit out of the generation that I'm raising. And if my heart is in the right place, (laughs) the fruit that I desire will be his fruit. Amen? But how, how, how can a tree grow if we cut off the sap by strangling it because of control? How can it grow? It just cannot. It just cannot. And isn't it interesting that sometimes when God gives us the most precious things, for some reason we we get to this place to think that that we have to to help God in God's blind spots. But what's really happening is God's trying to show you and me our blind spots. Amen? So the weight of alignment... I want to get back to this passage of scripture. The weight of a heart of alignment is also found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the stars in his right hand, he who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. And you, have per- and you have also persevered, and I have patience, and have patience, I'm sorry, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. And then he drops the bomb. And he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. It's, it's interesting. So you talk about missing it. These, on the surface, this church was doing good in Ephesus. On the surface, you would think to yourself, wow, these people really love God because look at all the works that they're doing for God. But what is so dangerous about what I'm talking about with heart alignment, that you can bury this and hide this for years. You can bury and hide this in the name of holiness. You can bury and hide this in the name of service. You can be serving God all of your life but not really walking in a love covenant with God all of your life. Amen? How many of you in this, in this room know you can work for somebody you don't love? Right? You can work for somebody all day long that you don't love, and the only way to really love them is that God will give you a heart posture of love for your boss, for the ones that you're working for, but you on your own can't really do it. Well, this is interesting because, again, in this passage of Scripture, what he is saying on the surface, Ephesus, you look great. On, the, on all the lists, on the checklist, you look phenomenal. But when I look really way deep inside, I got a problem with what I'm seeing. Your heart is out of alignment, so therefore you're not healthy. And so therefore, all that you have done is like counterfeit before me. It's not real. It has no weight because it's done with the wrong heart and the wrong alignment attached to it. You can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. Amen? And there needs to be a place where we ourselves walk through passages of Scripture like this and be able to ask the Lord, God, why do I serve you the way that I do? Is my heart right 
or am I looking for something of my flesh to be glorified or do I want my kids to be glorified or do I just want to feel good because of the praises of the people around me or am I doing it because I'm so in love with you I cannot help myself I don't know about you but that's the last one that I want I want to do it because I'm so in love with him that I cannot help myself but to be obedient, to be transparent, to be real, to be raw, to be vulnerable, to do the hard things, to take the step of faith when nobody else is going to step with me. I want to have a heart check because I want good fruit. I don't want you to bite into my life and taste something sour or man-made. There is preservatives in everything we eat. Amen. I want him to be my preservative. I want him to be my fruit sustainer. Amen. I want him to be in control of my seasons when my fruit drops and when my fruit rises, when my fruit comes out of the, my fruit comes off the tree. I want him to be in charge of all of that things. And I, so therefore, again, go wild, go crazy. Can we apply that not just to worship but to our love life? Can we go crazy, crazy and wild in our love life for Jesus Christ? I don't care who knows that I'm going to shout it from the mountaintop. He is my everything. And I'm not going back. I just am not going to go back. He's done too much for me. I've tasted of his goodness. I've seen his kindness. I've walked in the midst of his grace. I've watched him heal my wife. I've watched him bring me through so many things. I cannot go back. And I want to be able to say it's that kind of radical love that begins to shake the chains of the generations around you. It begins to shake the chains of your spouse. If they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, don't shame them into it. Don't fear them into it. Praise them into salvation. My God is good and he's faithful. Like lightning, that kind of truth comes and it hits what is broken. Like lightning, that kind of truth comes and hits the hard places of the heart of man. And I believe that's where things begin to shift and things begin to change. Can I share something with you? Heart alignment is not loving your family better. Heart alignment is loving them out of the overflow by which you have been loved with by the Lord Jesus Christ. The more time you spend in the love relationship with Jesus Christ, the better the overflow is going to be when you love the rest of people around you. And the better the water is going to be. You ever tasted of bitter water? Oh, bitter water will, will ruin your taste buds. Church, we have to accept responsibility. There are times when we have tainted the water to the generations coming after us. It's because, again, I think, I think again, sometimes we got out of alignment. And, and so when they taste the cup of his goodness that we are dishing out to them, there's like, whoa, what is, I, don't, what, I don't like what I'm tasting in this moment. And I'm not talking about conviction because, see, the cup of life has to have conviction about it. Amen. The woman at the well, he told her his, her story. He says, and the man that you're with now is not your husband. There was a conviction in the cup of living water that he gave her. But living water still must be the source that comes from his heart. And so again, it, there's, this, there's this constant need to be able to love my wife and my kids out of the overflow. And, and I want to I wanna share this other thing with you that in connection with this, <laughs> even in this passage of scripture that I'm going to share with you, he says in Mark chapter 12, verses 19 through 31, and Jesus answered them, and this is Jesus expanding on the heart of line, but he says, the first of all the commandments is, here is you, the Lord your God is one, Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the commandment. Isn't that a pretty good-sized list? I'm sorry, is there anything actually left out of that list? Like he goes and gives this exhaustive list of this is how you're going to love me. This is how I want you to love me. And this is beautiful to realize this. God is never asking something of you now that he's not already done for you earlier. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I, I want us to understand that God doesn't operate out of something that he wants from you that he won't do for you. He's already demonstrated what he wants you to love like him like based on what he's already done for you. This is what I'm saying. 
To, to love out of that kind of relationship is, is the most freeing thing that, that I love him. When I was at his worst, he loved me. And when I do better things, he doesn't love me more. He just always loves me that way. When, when he saw all the ugliness inside of me, he still chose to love me. What kind of crazy love is that? May we not go a little wild, a little crazy to be able to be loved like that. Because see, that kind of love had a promise with it. It said, if you trust me with all of your heart and make me Lord of your life, my love will rescue you from hell. And my love will enter you and offer you and usher you into my presence all the days of your life. It's not just a one-time love. See, we're really good about about giving one-time things in love. A date night or gifts or money, all that kind of stuff. But God has given you something that moth and rust cannot destroy. That will be able to last a lifetime that your soul really needs. Like you can taste counterfeit love, can't you? You can feel counterfeit love. But man, when the real thing hits, everything changes. Come on. How many people in the house can say, I've tasted of the real thing and everything has changed and I got no more shackles. I got no more love shackles. My love's no longer broken. My love is no longer twisted. I'm just, I'm just free to be able to love without worrying about getting back. Because he first loved me like that. He knew that on the cross that day that I would be one of the ones that would spit at his gospel. He knew that one day I would deny him in front of those that I was worried about my reputation more than I was worried about what he's done in my life. He knew that I would make all those mistakes. And he knew that (laughs) the sin that you probably committed last night, whether commission or omission, he knew that too, right? Come on. Come on. Isn't this grace of Jesus beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? Aren't you so glad for his mercy that you don't get what you actually deserve? Aren't you so glad that he looks at you and said, that was paid in full by the blood of my son in your life, holding no record of wrong against you or me because of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. And yet, so many times in the midst of doing ministry, in the midst of a generation wanting to know the Lord, we are so concerned about what they look like and how they act and how they talk. We're so concerned because they're not doing it the way that we wanted them to do it. We have to trust that God will make a way for them through Jesus Christ. He did it for you. He's going to do it for them. I promise you this. I've seen it in my own hand, my own life. All I'm recommending that you do in the middle of what you're going through is to love them with a contagious love of Jesus Christ like it's already done. Like it's already done. See, this love that he loved me with causes me to have a faith to believe that he will do what he said he will do. And because of that, I can be like Moses on my last journey and say, be strong and courageous. The Lord thy God goes with you. He's not leading you into the promised land by fear. And I refuse to be a voice of non-faith to a generation around me. I want to be a voice to the generation that says, go, be bold, be strong, trust the Lord God. He will take you into your promised land. God is never about codependency. Amen. God's not asking you to make your generations or your spouse codependent upon you. He wants them completely dependent upon him. Amen. Mark chapter 14, verse 29 through 31. Jesus answered him. Again, we've already read this to you. But he goes back and again, he says, And the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all my mind, with all thy strength. I think about when he says all in that passage of scripture, um, and I, I think about, uh, how many resources doubt and fear will waste when they're really to be applied to a love relationship with God? Let me, let me kind of unpack that for a little bit. I, I, I know that there are many in this room that as you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, you gave a lot of stuff away in your past. I would be one of those things. But I want to be able to say that the love of Jesus Christ restores all to us. 
Amen. He restores all that I can actually give all back to him in that moment. I'm no longer incomplete by what I used to do. I am now made whole because of what he has done in my life. And so there's this ability to be able to give back to him all that he has given me. And that must be the first place that it starts in worship is that I give everything back to him that belongs to him. So all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength, that needs to be the place that I focus my love on because out of that, I get me back. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I get the me back that he made me to be in the very first place. There are many people trying to get themselves back without going through the author and the finisher of their faith. They're trying to get themselves back by propping themselves up in ways that God never intended. The only way, if you want to know who you really are in Jesus Christ, is to go authentically back to the author and the finisher of your faith because all of your days are written in his book. And if you get into his heart, he will tell you your story. And there is so much depth in the conversation of what I give back, I get back a hundred thousand fold because he's just simply that good. Amen. Let me close with this pastor's scripture found in John 15 verses 9 through 11. I think this is really the heart and I'm going to close with one more thing and we'll wrap it up today. John 15 verses 9 through 11. It says this, and this is, <laughs> these are the beautiful words of Jesus Christ. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in me. Abide in my love. Forgive me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Um, this abiding conversation that Jesus speaks about in this moment if you were at the President's Conference, someone came and actually spoke about abiding in him. I thought that was such a powerful message. And I, I think so much about this abiding in him and understanding that abiding in him is, is this constant conversation of, of remaining in him. So I, as, as a branch, whatever the tree is eating on, whatever is the source of that tree, it pushes us out to me, and I receive that as a branch, and out of that branch, I produce that kind of a fruit. And so again, the thing that I'm abiding in is the thing that I'm connected to, and it's the thing that defines who I am and who I belong to. Does that make sense? And so the things that are a source of that tree, it's called an apple tree. Well, the things that actually run through that apple tree begin to run through me because I'm a part of the apple tree. And so I can't help but to be able to produce the fruit that the tree wants me to be able to produce. But it is not me that actually makes the sap or the fruit. It's just simply my abiding in the presence of the vine that produces those things. And so I want to be able to say to us that when we are worried about relationships, when we're worried about other things going on, if we can stay focused on how well we are attached to the vine by his faithful love and by his faithful goodness, I want to be able to say to you that your worry will not help you produce faster fruit. Your worry will not help your fruit produce faster. It is only in your abiding that things will begin to produce the timing that they're supposed to produce. And so I want to be able to say that part of what this abiding is is focusing and concentrating on you and the Lord and your relationship with him. There are several things that I think that I have learned as I've gotten older. First thing I've learned is that we have very fickle hearts as sheep. We just do. We will. We have a tendency to follow sometimes the loudest thing. We have a tendency to follow the crowd sometimes by never evaluating where in the world is that crowd going. And what we have a tendency to do sometimes is to hide in the flock and say, if they're pushing, their push will, is good enough for me. If, if they're striving and they're pushing, I can hide behind that and just get caught in what they're trying to do. I, I want to be able to say to you, salvation and the kingdom of God is not a herd mentality. It's a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. It's not a herd mentality. It's a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you in today's moment, too, that in this conversation of abiding of the vine, God is asking you in this moment one more time, how is our abiding going and where is your heart alignment at? Do you love me until death? 
Or will you leave me if I bring your loved one home? Would I still be good in that moment to you? Will, you? will you still call me kind? Will you still call me faithful? See, that's what I was dealing with at 2.30 in the morning, that, Lord God, if you heal her, you're good. But even if you don't, you're good. If you heal her, I love you, Lord. But even if you don't, I love you. If you heal her, I call you faithful. If you don't, I still call you faithful. I still call you king. I still call you Lord. I still call you my best friend. Even if you don't. Why? Because thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That's what those that abide say in moments like this. Father, I'm abiding, so I'm trusting, Lord God. Father, I'm abiding, so I'm believing, Lord God. And Father, I'm abiding because you're better. And your way is better. And your timing is better. I had some notes, and I, 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 I'm a little bit pensive to share it, but, but maybe I need to. I, I want to confess to you that I didn't realize it, but in this moment, my love had trust issues with God. God and I were having an ownership dispute over my wife, and that happens to all of us, doesn't it? Come on, parents in the room. Come on, if you're being real, if you're really being honest, maybe you've arrived at perfection, and I applaud that. I would say take the mic and teach us, but, but most, of us, most of us in this room would say, Pastor Ben, I've struggled with ownership in my family all of my life. I've been wrestling back and forth with God about ownership issues all of my life. And my question to you is this. Are you shackled today? Are you shackled today? It's a very honest question, and I, it's a question that has to be asked. And I, I made a couple notes about this conversation of, uh, do I share it, Lord? Mm. You're kidding yourself if you think you can really love your family without being loved by God first. You are fooling yourself. Oh, I say that with love and grace, but I, I say that out of a heart that was broken in the middle of all that was going on. You are kidding yourself. I had, I had no idea how manipulative fear is. See, the Word of God again says, perfect love casts out all fear. I didn't realize how imperfect my love was until I had to go through a time where that I had to let go. And then I began to realize, wow, there is, there's some stuff in here out of alignment. I, I want to say that the greatest way to love your spouse and your kids is to give them back to the Lord. But what I was wrestling with was, God, I think I know better because this is what my heart wants. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of faith. I'm, I'm a faith, we prayed faith all the way through this thing. I thank God from beginning to my wife was healed and she was coming out of this thing. I'm not talking about not praying faith. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is an idol that might be, there may be an idol in your life that actually has Lisa on it or your kid's name. So Lisa's my wife, by the way. There may be an idol in your life that maybe has your kid's name on it or your spouse's name on it and you don't realize it sits on the mantle of your heart and instead of looking at the author and finish of your faith, you look at him through the glass of the idol on your altar. I'm asking today, and what I'm really wanting to get at today is will you love them better? 